This is Live Well Talk on Injury Prevention. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Union Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Returning to the podcast today is Brandy Hennessy, Trauma Coordinator with St. Luke's Emergency Department, to discuss injuries with longer recovery times and how they can be prevented uh, from happening in the first place. We'll also touch on how longer-lasting in- injuries can affect children and their development. Brandy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for Back having me. Back to the podcast. Thank welcome. you. You're Thank a return. You. You're a veteran at this. Um, <laughs> What are some injuries that you have in mind here with this prevention? Um, some of the biggest ones we see are falls, um, especially with kids. They're clumsy and daring. They don't tend to listen to their parents very well. Uh, they don't really have that sense of danger when they're doing things. So falls from monkey bars, falls down the steps. We even see times where adults are carrying children and they either fall with them in their arms or they drop them. Um, a lot of burns kids will pull things off of stoves, the water will get too hot, not really paying attention. And then um, big one we've seen recently is scooters. They're very dangerous. They go very fast. And it's that thrill without that sense of danger that goes with it. Yeah, you see them littered, if that's the right word, around town. Everywhere. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And I'm sure it was an incentive to help with transportation needs. Uh, but they look dangerous. They are, and there's no requirement as far as helmets. Um, That's crazy. I think that there is age requirements, but I don't know how they enforce that. Um, And I've seen some scooters have three or four people on them at a time. I've seen moms wearing baby on a harness riding the scooter, which to me is just insane. Um, But then we also have all of our violent crimes, too, your stabbings, your shootings, and even sexual abuse. Those are very uncomfortable to talk about with children, but it does happen. Um, We've had a couple instances where someone was cleaning a gun they didn't know was loaded, and it went off, or a gun not being properly stored, and a child getting a hold of it. So those are some really catastrophic ones that really stick with you after those happen. And then uh, there's always the bread and butter uh, concussion mm-hmm. uh, that is worrisome. Um, and it, they're hard to prevent. I mean, you can't live in bubble wrap, right? Right. Uh, but you do need to do a good job of recognizing them when they do occur and mm-hmm. going through the, the rest and recovery aspect of that. Um, what is there anything new in injury uh, detection? Um, there is. There's a couple things that even here at St. Luke's we're looking at. There's some things that you can hook up to, like, the outside of your head and it can attest whether or not you've had a concussion where in the past it's been MRI or CT doesn't always doesn't yeah, always show it. It's usually going to be your MRI yeah. and it's so long after the injury occurs. Yeah. But most of our concussions are clinical diagnoses. So it's just making sure that our physicians are always up to date on um, best practice, best assessments. And we do a lot of education with them through our trauma meetings and through um, their credentialing through the American Board of Emergency Medicine. So it'll be interesting over time to see if the number of uh, injuries related to concussions, you know, sudden deaths that occur sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, sadly, um, go down now that uh, athletic trainers and coaches do have to have concussion certification at the high school level. Uh, because the, the key to preventing sudden second impact syndrome is recognizing when they had the first one and pulling right. them out of competition. You know, yeah. And I think um, one of the best things that I've heard recently is we have physicians that have to clear them to go back. So they call this safe return to play. 
And even once the physician clears them, a lot of times the coach is still not comfortable sending them back to play. So we'll keep them out for the next week's game or two weeks. And it's hard for the kids to understand because all they want to do is get back and play or um, trying to keep cell phones and iPads away from them. That light stimulus yeah, is absolutely in, horrible. In, in high school sports, particularly the fall sports, the the season's so short, eight games, mm-hmm. nine games. And, you know, you miss two weeks. That's huge. Where at the college level, missing two weeks is not – it's a big deal, but not as big a deal. Right. Yeah, but I think it's nice to see that coaches are taking this a lot more seriously. Instead of putting the team first, they're starting to put the players first, which I think is absolutely beneficial. Yeah, it's that second impact that they get that mm-hmm. uh, that's what kills – you hear about these, you know – youth that just die on the football field. It's mm-hmm. probably a second impact syndrome. Well, speaking of injuries, I mean, uh, I'm always, I'm going to premise this by saying I'm really impressed how the general public does a pretty good job of triaging whether or not they should go to an urgent care or to the ER mm-hmm. for the most part. It's not like we have a bunch of emergency room stuff showing up at urgent cares, but there is a difference between the two. Mm-hmm. And could you kind of go over what care should definitely go to the emergency room what care might be able to go to urgent care um it's gonna the ones that always stick out to me that need to be seen in an er are going to be your sudden onset so your sudden onset chest pain your sudden onset severe headache those are always your clinical you have to go to the er even if you show up to urgent care they're going to send you to us anyway just take out the middleman it saves time and time is brain time is heart those are important um and then as far as the injuries the ones that i look for is how severe are they If you cut yourself on a piece of glass and you put pressure and it stops bleeding after five minutes, but you might need stitches, that could probably go to an ER or to an urgent care, excuse me. You put pressure on it for five minutes and it's oozing around your fingers and you're starting, you're continuing to bleed, that would be an ER visit. Um, Loss of consciousness, I always recommend being seen in an ER because we have the ability to CT and that sort of thing. You can can rule out a lot of bad things with a CT scan. Yep. And then... If you break a bone, probably go to an urgent care. If you break it in a joint, if it's poking through the skin, if you notice that it's, I always call it the wily coyote, the visibly swelling, um, kind of like those Acme commercial or those Acme toys hit him in the head, and then you see that visible swelling. That's when we'd want to see you in an ER because there's something underlying that's a lot more significant. Um, Anything with four wheelers or scooters, any open sort of vehicle that's going more than you could more quickly than you could pedal a bike would be an ER visit uh, just because the mechanism of injury is so high for real serious internal yeah, injuries. I was kind of uh, shocked recently. I know Palo, you can drive golf carts mm-hmm. in that small town. You know, it's smaller. Yeah. It's uh, it's other than Blair's Ferry. It's traffic's a little bit less, you know. Mm-hmm. But Marion just said it was okay, too. Now, that surprised me. It surprised me, too. And I... Because, I mean, you have Blair's Ferry Road. You have First... You have a lot of heavy traffic areas. Yeah, even Main Street and Marion. Even some of, like, Albernet Road is out there. Yeah. You've got some really big... 10th Street out by Linmar. I just... It really makes me nervous. Um, I think people should use their best judgment. If you wouldn't ride a bicycle on it, I wouldn't take a golf cart on it. And... The family, we went down to Seaside, Florida um, one year for vacation, and everybody drives. Golf carts can be driven there. Mm-hmm. But it's 85%, 90% golf carts, you know. Right. 
motor vehicles where here it's just going to be the opposite. Exactly. I just, I was really surprised. That really surprised me. Yep. Well, we'll see, you know, <laughs> we'll be ready if something should happen. Yep. Right? And we're here yeah. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So if something happens and you're questioning, should I wait to be seen until morning or something just feels off? Come see us. We're always here. Urgent care closes. You need to be seen. You feel like you need to be seen. We are here to help you. I, I think one of the questions I wanted to cover this podcast is that the the little ones, the children, are susceptible to being injured. Mm-hmm. Just like you mentioned earlier, they have no fear uh, factor in mm-hmm. their decisions that they make. Uh, and they're pretty bouncy for the most mm-hmm. part. But what are some injuries that you would consider important not to miss because of perhaps delayed development or some sort of long-term consequence? Any head injuries, that's the first thing that really comes to mind. Um, In April, my husband and I celebrated the birth of our second son. Congratulations. Thank you. And at the end of May, my husband was out of town for National Guard training, was out of state, and I stood up in the middle, it was like 5 o'clock in the morning, and dropped our four-week-old son on our hardwood floor. Um, Yep. Happens to moms everywhere. And I think what I've learned from that is most people – don't share that because it's seen like, oh, you're a bad mom. How could you do that to your kid? And accidents happen. I think the biggest thing impeding moms from seeking help is that, am I going to be judged for this? Um, And as a nurse and as the trauma coordinator, I knew this is a huge impact for a four-week-old kid to sustain. So I brought him in here. He had a skull fracture and a head bleed. So yeah. So after an overnight stay in a PICU, he was fine. So developmentally, he wasn't going to have any deficits. But had that happened at 12 or 18 months, it could have been different. Just the way that the skull fuses together, uh, it's not as flexible. And like you said, kids are resilient. Yeah, they're they heal, pretty bouncy. They heal really quickly. But um, any head injuries, any burns, I think, need to be seen immediately. And then broken bones, or if they're not using a limb, if they're limping, if they're not... Um, the one that always comes to mind that's super easy and all the docs in the ER really like them are the nursemaid's elbow. We pick up our kids by their arms all the time and just dislocating that elbow, they won't reach out with that hand. If you're noticing that your kid's not reaching for his cup or for her toy with that hand, bring them in. It's a 15-minute fix in the ER if that's what that is. The doctor can look at them and say, yep, that's what it is. They'll pull on them a little bit and then the kid's fine and the pain just fixes immediately. So those are kind of the big ones that I always think about. Interesting. Yeah, I've you know, sometimes on dislocations, particularly like shoulder, uh, you know, I tell coaches, don't be afraid to try to put it back in yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't just leave it, you know, for because it gets harder the longer it stays out. Muscles right. contract around it and get less sedation anyway. That's uh, just a little coaching tidbit right there. Yep. And then, like you said earlier, the concussions, anything where they lose consciousness or they're just not acting themselves. Um, especially if they have vomiting after hitting their head on something, that's when we'd really want to see them emergently. Remember the old wives' tale that you you weren't supposed to let them sleep, wasn't yes. that it? Yeah, yeah. And now it's actually shown that yeah. REM sleep, the rapid eye movement sleep, is better for concussion. So yeah. let them sleep. Don't wake them up. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, and the other. I learned I learned this one time too is avoid uh, sedatives. So if they get a little agitated after a concussion that's fine it's the brain kind of waking up and you actually mm-hmm. make things worse by giving them some sort of sedative or an opioid because then the brain just gets more confused and right. can prolong the uh confusion yep if you had one piece of advice for injury prevention what would it be 
going to be twofold. I know you said one piece of All advice. All right, I'll let you have two. Okay. Um, always keep an eye on your kids. I know that that's really hard, especially as they become more mobile. Um, but just making sure that you're aware of what is in their surroundings and what they have access to, getting all of the stuff out of the way that can be dangerous to them. And then that's the twofold part. So that goes for elderly as well. Um, not always keeping an eye on them, but making sure that they have clear paths to walk through, making sure that their rugs are secured to the floor, that they're not going to trip. Um, cords are out of the way. If they have walkers, making sure that those are easily navigatable through their living spaces and that they have those supports that they need. If you're questioning whether or not they need a walker, have them evaluated and look and see, is that something they need? Because that's going to prevent the falls in the future. Yeah. Well, another piece of advice, if they fall once and thankfully they're all fine, there's a reason why they mm -hmm. fell and look a little bit deeper because that that's a good opportunity to prevent the next fall if you can. Yep. And we see a lot of um, pretty catastrophic things that they don't, as you age, your pain receptors aren't as telling. So they might be in pain, but they might not be able to notice it or they might have a broken bone and they just don't register that pain. So really assessing once they get up and they're walking, are they limping more? Are they not moving? Have they sat in their chair for two days because they don't want to get up and walk? Those things are huge red flags for us as uh, for treating injuries after a trauma. You know, I, I think one that I see as an internal medicine that I always tell patients. So Grandma falls and comes to the ER, hips don't have a fracture, but grandma refuses to walk. You know, please bring them back. That's probably a pelvic fracture mm -hmm. that, that I've seen that so many times where someone that's demented and can't communicate that they're in pain, um, but they just refuse to walk. Yeah. Uh, that 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 is bring them back for reassessment. That's one that I've seen several times in my career. Absolutely. And even... I've seen a couple where they have, like we call them hairline fractures, or it's not a complete fracture. It didn't dislocate the bone or um, it's in line. So we don't catch that initial crack of a fracture, but it's still going to be super painful. So then really watching. And then if they're sent home with any type of narcotic, really monitoring those because they don't metabolize that as fast. Um, I always tell my elderly family, stick with Tylenol and ibuprofen if that works, maybe one or two narcotics a day. But that just increases their risk for fall if they're at home on those and yeah. not being monitored. Yeah, definitely. And then everybody's on a blood thinner, so that just, oh, yeah. you know, ex, uh, yep. just ex escalates, yes, yes, escalates the concern. Okay, Brandy, there's the World Wide Web mm -hmm. and Google, Dr. Google. Yes. W what are some common sites that you recommend for resources for individuals um, for injury prevention, injury treatment, injury recognition? Uh, injury recovery. Yeah. One of the big ones that we use here, um, especially in the ER post-concussion, I mean, it varies based on the age and how extensive the concussion is and what your recovery looks like. But the Brain Injury Alliance of Iowa is a great resource, um, not only for the people suffering from the head injury, but the loved ones taking care of them or coaches that need some sort of assistance. And their website is BIAIA.org. You can find resources on life after brain injury, what military resources are available because so many military members suffer from brain injuries as well, um, accommodation tip sheets to transition them back home, concussion information, and even intimate partner violence and brain injury because we do see a lot of intimate partner violence that escalates and results in a brain injury as well. Um, they have links to support groups. 
And then the other one that I think is a huge one for us is we're pretty lucky that we have a burn center in Iowa City. There's not a lot of burn centers across the country. They're very limited. Just two in Iowa, right? Yeah, uh, one. Just just the U. Just, just the, the university. university. I think the next closest one is Omaha. Oh, at the university. Okay. Yep. So having that in Iowa City, and we partner with them to make sure that our patients not only receive thorough treatment, but receive quick treatment. Yeah, they they do a great job. They do. Um, and their website has community support programs. So they offer like a burn camp for burn survivors. Um, and then they have support groups for families and for the survivor themselves. Anytime that you're seen here, if you have any questions, most of our physicians, NPs and PAs are really good at giving resources. But if you're just questioning, hey, what can I do? Where can I look? Just ask and we'll put that in your discharge paperwork as well. Outstanding. So just don't Google stuff is what you're saying. No, I would not recommend yeah. that. Or Bing it. You could say, did I binged it. Yeah. I I don't, a lot of people don't say that, though. Do no, they're, or Yahoo'd. Yeah, they I, don't. They don't do much yeah, of that anymore. Yep. Yeah. But there's a lot of resources out there, and they're not always applicable to the area. So just because I Googled burn center treatment, that could come up with something in Phoenix where yeah. that's not going to be what the U recommends. And that's where you're probably going to be treated yeah. if you're in this no, area. No, the university so, does a great job with those patients. They do. Outstanding. And we do, we get a lot of them back here in rehab. Yeah, we do. Um, they, and they, our physicians in the ER, like I said, have a really good working yeah, relationship they where they can talk to them pretty quickly. So. Well, Brandy, thank you again for joining me. Once again, this was Brandy Hennessy, Trauma Coordinator with St. Luke's Emergency Department. For more information on services provided by St. Luke's, visit unipoint.org. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.